0: Welcome to Abide's Kids Bedtime Stories. I'm Tyler. Today's bedtime story is sponsored by FaithfulCounseling.com. Talk to a therapist who shares your Christian values. Just go to FaithfulCounseling.com/abide to get started online or in their app. You can also text Abide to 22433 for 25% off the Abide app. Just text Abide to 22433. All right, it's time to settle into bed and drift off to sleep with this bedtime story. Tonight, I'm going to tell you the story of a man named Jonah who tried to run away from God. Crazy, right? We know God is everywhere. He knew God is everywhere. But when you're desperate or afraid, you just want to run away. Before I get started, I want you to snuggle down into your bed and pull your covers up right under your chin. Now relax your hands and your arms, your feet and your legs. Close your eyes and take a nice deep breath. Make sure you're good and comfortable because while I'm telling you this story, you may be so relaxed that you fall asleep before I'm done, but that's okay. You can hear the end of the story another time. Now that you're all settled, let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, thank you for being with us. Thank you that you are always with us just like your spirit was with Jonah, even when he was trying to hide from you. I pray that you would be with my friend while they sleep. Give them sweet dreams that remind them of your love for them. Fill them with your peace. Help them to sleep deeply so they have energy for what you want for them. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Now Jonah was a Hebrew. This meant that he was one of God's chosen people. When he was describing himself, he said, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made land and sea. That was pretty important information, as we'll soon find out. I imagine it playing out something like this. Jonah was a prophet of God, which meant that he spoke for God to the people. Specifically, Jonah served in the court of the king of Israel, who was a man named Jeroboam. This was the second king to be named Jeroboam, so he was called Jeroboam II. They lived in a time when Israel was a peaceful nation. No one was trying to conquer them. No armies were invading, and the nation was prosperous. That meant that they had a lot of things. They had enough food. The people weren't starving. Things were going pretty well. The problem was, Jeroboam II was a wicked king. He was supposed to lead the people in the ways of the Lord, but instead he did bad things like worshiping idols. Because of these wicked things, the people of Israel began to suffer, even while Jeroboam continued to prosper. There were two other prophets of God who lived and preached at the same time as Jonah. They were named Hosea and Amos. Jonah had heard their words, Hosea talked a lot about the love and mercy of God. His whole life was a picture of God's mercy and forgiveness. Amos, on the other hand, talked a lot about God's judgment, those things that God was going to do because the people had turned away from him. So here was Jonah hearing messages of mercy and messages of judgment. He was trying to do the right thing, to live a righteous life. But he lived in a wicked world, and he was seeing an evil king who seemed to live a really good life. He was prospering, and Jonah kind of got a little mad at God. Okay, he got a lot mad at God. Why was someone who was so evil and who was leading God's people away from him doing so well? Jonah wanted God to do something about it. Well, God had a plan to do something about the evil around Jonah, He told Jonah, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and speak out against it. I am aware of how wicked its people are. Nineveh was a huge city in the kingdom of Aram, in what is now largely Syria in the Middle East. Oh, the people of Israel really didn't like the Arameans. They were, let's just say, not nice people. So when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah knew exactly what was going to happen, and he wasn't happy about it. So you know what Jonah did? He ran. Like the total opposite way from Nineveh. Nineveh was about 700 miles away to the north and east. So Jonah thought, I'm going somewhere God is not. I'm heading for Tarshish. Get this. Tarshish was like, 3,000 miles away, by boat. It would have taken Jonah a year to get to Tarshish. So, why did Jonah think he could go somewhere God was not? We know God is everywhere, right? Like we talked about at the beginning. But back then, way back before the time of explorers like Christopher Columbus, the people thought that Tarshish, which was a port in the city of southern Spain, was as far away as you could possibly get. They didn't know anything existed beyond that. And here's something interesting Isaiah was another prophet that lived about 150 years after Jonah. In chapter 66, verse 19 of Isaiah's book, God says, And from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pool, and Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. So Jonah probably knew that Tarshish was a place that they didn't know God. So God must not be there. And another thing about Tarshish was that it was apparently a really nice place to visit. King Solomon used to have boats sent there. And when they came back, they bring lots of cool things, like peacocks. Cool. So anyway, Tarshish was about as far away from Nineveh as you could possibly get in those days. And Jonah was determined to go there because he wanted to be where God wasn't. That's how mad he was that God wasn't taking action against these evil people. Go preach to the Ninevites? Right, sheesh. Jonah knew that God was merciful He could see the outcome already and he didn't want any part of it. So instead of following God's instructions to go to Nineveh, Jonah hightailed it to a port city called Joppa, which was about 75 miles away, hired a big boat and said, I'm out of here. The thing about taking a boat somewhere in those days is that it wasn't like being on a big, fancy cruise ship with its huge engines and water slides and all-you-can-eat buffets. There were sails and oars, which meant somebody, actually a bunch of somebodies, had to row if the wind wasn't pushing them the way they needed to go. So Jonah's boat, because of the way the winds and the currents ran in the Mediterranean Sea, had to first travel east and around near the coast of their own country before they could even start heading towards Spain. And before they had been gone very long, God stirred up a huge storm that threatened to break apart the boat. Well, you can imagine that the sailors were all pretty scared. I mean, most of them had probably been sailing for a big part of their lives, But this storm was so fierce that they didn't know what to do. They were praying to their gods, trying to do anything they could to stop the storm. They thought the god of the sea was angry with them. They started throwing cargo overboard and everything to make the ship lighter so it might be able to ride the waves better. But nothing worked. They looked around for Jonah. They couldn't find him. Did he fall overboard? They didn't think so. They searched and searched, and finally they found Jonah in the hold of the boat, which means way down underneath the deck, sleeping. In the midst of a fierce storm, Jonah was sleeping. The captain found him there and said to him, "'What are you doing asleep? Get up and pray to your God for help. Maybe he'll feel sorry for us and spare our lives.'" Then the sailors decided to draw names to find out who could tell them what was going on with the storm. They thought that drawing what they called lots would tell them who had that kind of information. So of course, God caused the lot to fall on Jonah. The sailors started pelting him with questions. Now then, tell us, who is to blame for this? What are you doing here? What country do you come from? What is your nationality? Jonah, as much as he had tried to hide from God, knew that he couldn't hide any longer. "'I am a Hebrew,' Jonah answered. "'I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the land and sea.'" Jonah went on to tell them that he was running away from the Lord. The sailors were terrified and said to him, "'That was an awful thing to do!' The storm was getting worse all the time, so the sailors asked him, "'What should we do to stop the storm?' Jonah answered, Throw me into the sea, and it will calm down. I know it is my fault that you are caught in this violent storm. Can you imagine the look on the sailors' faces? Throw this man into the sea! They tried to do all that they could so that they would not be responsible for Jonah's death. But as hard as they tried to row, the harder the storm raged. So they cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, we pray don't punish us with death for taking this man's life. You, O oh Lord, are responsible for all of this. It is your doing. Then they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea. And it calmed down at once. Wow. As soon as Jonah hit the water, the storm died. Just like that. Well... This made the sailors so afraid of the Lord that they offered a sacrifice and promised to serve him. So that's one good thing that happened. All these sailors who worship false gods got to see the power of the Lord and they began to worship him. Yay! But, oh, uh, don't worry about Jonah. God had a plan for him. At the Lord's command, a large fish swallowed Jonah and he was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Ew, right? I mean, think about what goes into a big fish's stomach. Okay, maybe don't think of that very much, but that's where Jonah found himself, for three days and three nights. Not that you'd be able to tell the difference way down there in that fish's belly. I'm sure it was dark all the time. I wonder what the fish was thinking. Hmm. But we know what Jonah was thinking because he prays while he's in that big fish. And this is what he prays. In my distress, O Lord, I called to you and you answered me. From deep in the world of the dead, I cried for your help and you heard me. You threw me down into the depths to the very bottom of the sea where the waters were all around me and all your mighty waves rolled over me. I thought I had been banished from your presence and would never see your holy temple again. The water came over me and choked me. The sea covered me completely. The seaweed wrapped around my head. I went down to the very roots of the mountains, into the land whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, brought me back from the depths alive When I felt my life slipping away, then, O Lord, I prayed to you. And in your holy temple, you heard me. Those who worship worthless idols have abandoned their loyalty to you. But I will sing praises to you. I will offer you a sacrifice and do what I have promised. Salvation comes from the Lord. That sounds like Jonah was sorry for running away from God, but it wouldn't have taken him three days and three nights just to pray that prayer. We don't really know what else he was thinking or why God kept him in the fish for all that time. God doesn't do anything just because. So you know what else this points to? Jesus, he was in the tomb for three days. That's no coincidence. Once the Pharisees were asking Jesus for a sign. Something that would tell them who he really was. But Jesus said to them, No sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus already knew he would be in the tomb for those three days. And maybe for Jonah, it was three days so the fish could swim all the way from where it scooped him up to where he needed to spit him out. Because that's what happens next. The fish spits Jonah on dry land. Jonah certainly had a lot he needed to learn. He needed to know that creation obeys God. The raging storm that had all those sailors so afraid stopped the very moment Jonah hit the water. And that made the sailors so afraid that they turned to God and wanted to follow him. Jonah needed to know that every fish obeys God. God sent that fish right to where Jonah was going to fall into the water in order to swallow him. That's pretty amazing. So Jonah was disobeying God by running away, but God showed him that even the storms and the fish obey. There's another story in the New Testament about Jesus sleeping in a boat when a big storm came up and all his disciples were afraid. But all Jesus had to do was say, hush, be still, and the storm stopped. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus could calm the storm because Jesus was there when the storms were created. Another time in the New Testament, Jesus had his disciples go fishing. Many of them were fishermen, so that might not seem so amazing. But this time, Jesus told them to take the first fish they caught, cut him open, and they would find enough coins in his belly to pay their taxes. So God had this one particular fish swallow these shiny coins probably days ahead of time and then be right at the spot where those guys were going to cast their lines so he could be caught and the money used to pay taxes. Now that's amazing. Well, God had prepared this great big fish for Jonah. And while Jonah was in its belly, it swam back up the coast to where God told it to, then spit out Jonah on dry land. And while Jonah was in its belly, he had a lot of time to think, to complain to God, and to decide in his heart that he was going to obey God again. And so when Jonah was back on dry land, probably a little icky from having been in that fish's belly, God spoke to him again. He didn't say, Jonah, I'm so disappointed with you. How could you have thought you could hide from me? He didn't get mad at Jonah. He didn't give up on him and say he was going to send someone else to Nineveh. God did what he needed to do to convince Jonah to do what he wanted Jonah to do. God said the exact same thing to Jonah that he had said before. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to the people the message I have given you. But you know what was different this time? Jonah obeyed. Nobody really knows exactly where the fish spat out Jonah, but it makes sense that it was near a place called Phoenicia. And you know how far Phoenicia was from Nineveh? More than 400 miles. And remember, there weren't any cars or trains in those days. Jonah would have to walk, and it probably would have taken him about three weeks to make that journey. That's a lot of time to think about his mistakes it would have given God a lot of time to talk to Jonah about it, too. When Jonah finally got to Nineveh, it took him three days, again, with the three days, to walk all around the city proclaiming God's message. And you know what God's message was? In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Now remember, these were pagan people. They did not worship the Lord. They worshiped all these other gods. But their reaction to Jonah's message was immediate. No, they didn't chase Jonah out of their great city. They repented. This is what the Bible says about it. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, so they decided that everyone should fast. And all the people, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth to show that they had repented. When the king of Nineveh heard about it, he got up from his throne, took off his robe, put on sackcloth, and sat down in ashes. He sent out a proclamation to the people of Nineveh. This is an order from the king and his officials. No one is to eat anything. All persons, cattle, and sheep are forbidden to eat or drink. All persons and animals must wear sackcloth. Everyone must pray earnestly to God and must give up their wicked behavior and their evil actions. Perhaps God will change his mind. Perhaps he will stop being angry and we will not die. God saw what they did. He saw that they had given up their wicked behavior. So he changed his mind and did not punish them as he said he would. What a great story. Jonah was so happy that the evil people had turned to God and they all lived happily ever after, right? Wrong. Wrong. I'm just going to read for you what happened after that. Jonah was very unhappy about this and became angry. So he prayed, Lord, didn't I say before I left home that this is just what you would do? That's why I did my best to run to Spain. I knew that you were a loving and merciful God, always patient, always kind, and always ready to change your mind and not punish. Now then, Lord, let me die. I am better off dead than alive. The Lord answered, What right do you have to be angry? Jonah went out east of the city and sat down. He made a shelter for himself and sat in the shade, waiting to see what would happen to Nineveh. Then the Lord God made a plant grow up over Jonah to give him some shade so that he would be more comfortable. Jonah was extremely pleased with the plant. But at dawn the next day, at God's command, a worm attacked the plant and it died. After the sun had risen, God sent a hot east wind, and Jonah was about to faint from the heat of the sun beating down on his head. So he wished he were dead. I am better off dead than alive, he said. But God said to him, What right do you have to be angry about the plant? Jonah replied, I have every right to be angry, angry enough to die. The Lord said to him, The plant grew up in one night and disappeared the next. You didn't do anything for it, and you didn't make it grow. Yet you feel sorry for it. How much more, then, should I have pity on Nineveh, that great city? After all, it has more than 120,000 innocent children in it, as well as many animals. Wow. Jonah had run away from God in the first place because he was so disappointed that God was not just dealing with those who were evil. And now, like he said, didn't I tell you this was going to happen? He was thinking more about the prophet Amos' message and less about the prophet Hosea's. As Jesus' brother James would write many, many years later, mercy triumphs over judgment. God needed Jonah to learn that God's ways are higher than our ways. The prophet Isaiah wrote God's word when God said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But another awesome truth we learn from Jonah's story is that it's okay to be disappointed that God doesn't do something we wanted him to do. Because that means we believe that God could have done more than what he did. We have faith that God is big and powerful. He raises people from the dead. But his decisions are always the best ones. We may not see it, but we have faith that he is always good. But as God showed with the plant he gave Jonah for shade, we need to let God be God. He knows what's best. He is loving and kind and merciful. If he doesn't do what we want him to do, it's not because he can't. It's not because he's just being difficult and not listening to us. It's because he knows what's best. And he desires that all people repent, turn from their wicked ways, and follow him. And he used Jonah, who had disobeyed and run away from him, to bring the people of Nineveh to repentance. And that is awesome. Let me pray for you. Lord God, thank you for this child of yours. I am so glad that you made them. I am so glad that they could hear the story of Jonah tonight. I pray that you would wrap them in your love as they sleep. Help them know that even if they mess up, even if they try to hide from you, you will always pursue them because you love them so much help them to get back when they fall and continue to follow you it's in the powerful name of Jesus that I pray Amen Sweet dreams my friend sleep well